This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. So glad you're here. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, the service this morning and for braving the weather. And I guess it's not that bad, maybe, but it's kind of cold and slippery. So, all right. So we are today. We are concluding our series called Sync, and it's been a three three week series on um, on biblical stewardship. We've talked about a, a few things, but a couple really important things that we've discussed in the last several weeks is number one, everything, everything belongs to God. We've discussed the issue of ownership. Okay, the Bible tells us in Psalms that, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything belongs to God. And so until we resolve the issue of ownership, we'll always be in conflict with how we are so biblically supposed to handle our finances. Until we understand everything belongs to God. And so ownership we talked about a couple weeks ago. Also a couple weeks ago we talked about how everything in our life is under the lordship of Christ. I use the illustration of the dresser. You remember the dresser illustration where we have a dresser and there's multiple drawers in our dresser. And we think of our, this dresser as our life. Our life is like a dresser that has multiple different drawers. We have the, uh, the work drawer. We have the entertainment drawer. We have the, the finances drawer, the money drawer. We have also the faith drawer. But what I challenged us on was that if... That's how you see your life, that you have a work drawer, you have a money drawer, and then you have separately a faith drawer. That's, it makes sense. It's, there's some logic to it, but we're no longer talking about the Christian faith when that's the way you see life. Because really, there is no such thing as a faith drawer. The whole dresser is our faith. The whole dresser is the lordship of Christ. And all of the drawers of life, our relationships, our work, our finances, everything gets filtered through the Lordship of Christ. And that's really the challenge for all of us, is to learn. Yeah, it starts with ownership, but it also is to learn and say, God, it's yours. And I surrender to you, to your will, your desire for my life. And so that's where we've been. That's where we've been, what we've been talking about. Uh, today we're going to look at um, a passage, or a couple passages, where Jesus is actually speaking and he's speaking to two different individuals. We're going to meet two different individuals. And he characterizes them, or, 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 or they're described as rich or wealthy, okay? And that's what we're going to look at. And in, and in both cases, money is addressed with the conversation between Jesus and them. And I'm kind of glad you're here today because you might feel like, well, this is not for me then. Because if Rich, is talk, if, if rich, rich Pastor Rich, is talking about rich people, and Jesus is talking to rich people, then he's obviously not talking to me. He's talking to them, right? And I'm not rich, and therefore, I didn't, ha- I didn't have to come to church in this bad weather today because, after all, today's sermon is not for me. Just probably how you feel, and I understand that because this idea of wealth, rich, being wealthy, all that kind of stuff is a very subjective term. All right, it means different things to different people. Like, I could say I have a lot of money, and it means one thing to me, but it means something completely different to you. I could say I have a very little bit of money, and it means something to me, and it means something very different to you. Right? It's very subjective. Like, I can say, man, I'm good looking, right, as a person. And then I get a, see a picture of Chris Hemsworth, and I'm like, I should go hide in a closet. <laughs> right? Because... There's no, I thought there was a resemblance, but I guess not. There's none, right? 
I probably look more like Yoda. That's probably what I look like. <laughs> okay? And at least I can feel better about, I thought I felt, this is what I said to my wife. I was talking to her. I said, yeah, at least I feel good that I'm better looking than Yoda. And Christian said, well, that's debatable. <laughs> yeah, you know? So this idea of being rich or wealthy is a very subjective term. And it means different things to different people. So can I, for, for a little bit, be objective with you? Okay, just take a moment to be objective, all right? We're going to kind of compare ourselves as a culture, as a people in America to the rest of the world and see what we look like. So I had this, this uh, illustration here. There's 100 people. And I want you to imagine that these 100 people represent the entire population of the world. All 7.5 billion people on the face of the earth are represented by this, these 100 people. Okay, And if that's the case, 70 of those 100 people do not know Jesus. They've never met Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Pretty significant. It's why we are so adamant here at Life Church about world missions and about reaching lost people because 70% of the world's population has never experienced Christ or had an adequate presentation of the gospel. 51 of those 100 people would be women. 49 would be men. I'm sorry, ladies. This kind of dispels the notion that there's somebody for everybody. <laughs> there's a couple short. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> 80 would live in substandard housing. 80 would have no running water or electricity. 70 would not be able to read. 50 would be malnourished or very hungry. And one would be starving to death. Often, often it's a child. Now, what's fascinating about this, about these statistics, is that of that hundred people, only six of them would actually represent the population of America, Canada, and the United States. Only six. Okay? And yet, more than half of the world's wealth lies in the six hands, in those six hands right there. So, objectively speaking, okay? You and I are rich. I get it. Like, you don't feel that way because you're, you're struggling to pay bills or you're living paycheck to paycheck. But objectively, every single one of us have an opportunity. Every single one of us are blessed in some way or, or another. And really, that's who Jesus is speaking to this morning. He's speaking to us. In fact, uh, I was reading this week some, these some real Twitter co- quotes of some people that, that have kind of lost perspective. They're, it's very subjective, and so they've kind of lost perspective of the objectivity of our wealth. One person said, I'm on the last 30 pages of Game of Thrones, but my book ran out of battery. And then he added, no, <laughs> like all these O's, you know, like, oh, it's just the worst thing on the face of the earth. I've just ran out of battery in my, in my iBook or whatever it is he was reading. And I thought, 70% of the world's population can't even read. Dude, just buy a battery, right? It's not that big of a deal. And yet, that's what we have. Andy said, I just like the fact that that a trip to my family's second home (laughs) involves a six-hour plane ride to a different continent. Wow. A simple cottage getaway would be nice. This next one, at least she was uh, honest and acknowledged that she was whining a little bit. She says, I know this is a total whine, but there's so much legroom in business class. 
I don't think I've ever flown business class. I don't even know what that's like, but I need the leg room. I'm usually the one trying to get the exit rows in an airplane because I need the leg room. There's so much room in, there's so much leg room in business class, I can't even reach the touchscreen TV. Life is hard. <laughs> Another person tweeted, the heated seats in my car don't heat evenly. Ah. Oh. It kind of captures the way we see the world because we're looking at it from a comparison standpoint. We're not looking at it objectively. So whether we have a little or we have some or we have a lot, we can very easily look at it all and say, it's not enough. And I'm suffering and I'm struggling. And so really the truth is, is that the challenge for you and I is to step aside, step away and look objectively and say, you know what? I am blessed. I may, I may have to every once in a while struggle and pay a bill. I may sometimes in seasons of life live paycheck to paycheck, but I am blessed. And if you can walk away with that notion, that idea, then I think today Jesus is speaking to every single one of us in this room. We're going to look at Luke 19. Um, Luke kind of presents a, a, one of these wealthy people, and this is what he says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, you know, we've heard of Zacchaeus. You, you've, I'm sure you've heard of Zacchaeus. If you have kids in children's church, you've heard of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and then, Luke, and then Luke decides he has to add this, and was wealthy. And the word he uses there for wealthy is not just he was wealthy, but he was very wealthy. Like he had a fleet of cars, he had jets, private jets, he had, you know, yachts and that kind of stuff, right? Now, just to be clear, I know that you're, we're going down this path and you're thinking, gosh, I, I hate the fact that I have money in the bank. No, you don't need to feel that way. That's not what we're talking about. See, the idea here is there's nothing inherently wrong with having a lot of money. Money is amoral. Okay, it's not really about that. It's, it's, more, about, it's more about the love of money. And that's really what the Bible speaks to is the love of money. And you don't have to have a lot of it to love it, right? In fact, oftentimes when you have very little of it, you love it even more because you just hold on to it, right? So that's really what the Bible is speaking to is this idea of the love of money. So having a lot is not a problem. It's actually what you do with what you have, as we talked about last week, that, that really matters. And so what we're going to do is see Luke chapter 19 presents Zacchaeus, let's back up to Luke, eight, to Luke chapter 18 because Jesus is like, is like the master of contrast. He likes to compare and contrast so that we can get the point. And so Jesus in, in, in Luke 18 there's, has an encounter with another person who is also categorized or, or described as a rich man. He's a young man who comes to Jesus and he asks this question. What must I do to be saved? How can I inherit eternal life? That's the question that this young man's asking. And he says to Jesus, I have kept all the commandments, every single one of them, which, by the way, was a very difficult thing for, for a young Jewish man to do in that, in that time of, the, of, of you know, the world. It was difficult for them to keep all the commandments. And yet, this young man stands before Christ and he says, I have kept them all. What else must I do? And so implied in the story is that something is missing. Like he's done everything according to the law, but something is missing. And Jesus knows this young, man, this young man's heart. He knows exactly what's missing. He knows really that this young man is depending on his wealth and not on his relationship with God for true satisfaction. And so Jesus speaks to him and he says, hey, why don't you go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. 
Just come follow me after that. Check out how this young man responds. He says, but when the man heard this, you know, sell your wealth and give it to the poor. When the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. You usually don't put those two words together, very sad and very rich. That doesn't usually go together, right? There's something about this. Implied in this story is that if this man had only had a little bit, maybe he would have followed Jesus. If he had had maybe some, just, you know, maybe not, it wasn't poor, but he wasn't rich. Maybe he was somewhere in the middle. If he had just a little, you know, just a little bit more, maybe he would have followed Jesus. But because he was very rich, it was hard to follow Jesus. Now, I understand this. When I went to Bible college, I drove to Bible college in my 69 Chevy Impala. Now, I realize that you say a 69 Chevy Impala in this context, 19, I mean, 2000 and whatever, uh, it's, it sounds like a classic car. <laughs> well, in 1980, my Chevy Impala was a yellow junker. That's really what it was. I mean, it muffler made a lot of noise, you know, it wasn't in tune, there was a lot of issues with it. I was, uh, I was driving down Interstate 45 on my way to Bible College, and um, I'm driving down Interstate 45, and, and I had, ch- had stopped at a gas station to get gas and check the oil, because back then you would stop and check the oil, make sure your oil level is right. And so I, I checked the oil, and then I didn't actually latch the hood down correctly, so I'm flying down Interstate 45, and poosh, it just popped open like that, you know, and I had to pull over, and it didn't fly off. It stayed on the hinges, but it was all, I mean, totally bent. I forced it down, got it to latch back down, but on the ends of the, of the hood, there was like these wings that went up like that, you know, and you know, some guys actually thought, hey, what's that for? You know, I'm like, uh, you don't want to hear about it, you know. But anyways, I had this 69 yellow two-door banana mobile that I would drive around Bible college, and I would lend it to anybody. If you are, were a student there at Bible school, and you came to me and said, hey, can I borrow your car? Yeah, sure. I mean, I actually lent that car to total strangers. Like, I didn't even know who they were. They'd say, can I borrow your car? Like, no, actually, one guy said, hey, I need a ride. Can you give me a ride? And I was like, I don't have time to give you a ride, but here, here's my keys. And I let him take the car. And he took my car, and he brought it back. Like, I didn't know the guy. I had never seen the guy. I didn't know his name, but he borrowed my car. You know, and he brought it back and he said, thanks for letting me borrow your car. I probably won't borrow it again, but thanks for letting me borrow your car, you know. So I had that car. That was my, my little. And then a few years later, I met my wife and we bought a 1984 Honda Accord. It was nice. And I wouldn't let anybody borrow that car. <laughs> I mean, even Christy would come, hey, Rich, can I borrow our car? <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't know. Do you have a driver's license? You know, I, I wouldn't say that's my wife, obviously. But yeah, you know, because why? Little, a lot. That 69 banana mobile was just a little. My 84 Accord was a lot in my mind, right? And it captured my heart. And so Jesus concludes here with this rich young ruler, what he says. And basically for any of us whose heart is divided, he says in verse 24, chapter 18, in fact, this is, this is including what's called the hard statements of Christ. Jesus, there's a series of hard statements throughout the Gospels where Jesus makes these really, really, you know, it's like shocking statements. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, though, just so to put it in context, he goes on to say, but with God, all things are possible. 
It's not easy. And see, the more you have, the greater the struggle that we have oftentimes with things having our hearts. I think sometimes we think that if I had a lot of money, it'll satisfy me. Right? I could be satisfied if I had a lot of money. In fact, you might have even said that this morning. Maybe the challenges you're facing on a regular basis right now, you would say, if I could just have a lot more money, I would find satisfaction. I would be happy if I had a lot of money. I would be satisfied if I had a lot of money. But it's funny because there was this study, this Princeton University study in 2006, kind of a longitudinal study where they, they tried, to, they tried to, to ask a lot of people over time to determine whether having more money actually brought more happiness. And so they asked this question, right? They asked a series of questions to basically establish, does more money bring more happiness. And so they did find that there is, a, there is a context in which more money does bring more happiness. Like, for example, if you make $5,000 a year, you are less happy than a person who makes $50,000 a year. And they found some, some uniqueness about that particular study in that those who made $5,000 a year were struggling because they couldn't pay anything, right? There was, it was just a very difficult thing. So they equated their their lack of income as not being happy, and those who had 50,000, oh, I'm comfortable, I'm okay. okay? But then the same study said that if you make 50,000, I'm sorry, if you make $20,000 a year compared to a person who makes $100,000 a year, the person who is making $100,000 a year is only 12% happier than a person who makes $20,000 a year, just 12%. In other words, it's, it's, it's somewhat measurable, but it's not significant, right? And yet, if we use those, if we thought, how many of you want to make $20,000 a year? <laughs> I don't, right? What's interesting, though, in this study is that they found that those who make $100,000 a year compared to those who make $10 million a year, there was no difference in the happiness quotient. Zero. In fact, what the study discovered was that those who made $10 million a year often struggled with more stress and even could have said a little bit less happy, although they weren't really ready to claim that, having made $10 million a year, they wouldn't want to claim that. But still, that's, that's what they found. They were more anxious, right? So you hear me say all these things, and I bet you're saying, I'll take my chances with the $10 million. I would take my chances with a 10 million. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe I won't be happy, but I'll take my chances with a 10 million, right? Another thing that we often think is that a lot of money will make me significant, right? We determine our value on how, we, how much we have. Our, our, we get our real worth from our net worth, and we don't, we don't find it really. We, our significance is not in Christ, but in, in stuff, right? Something else that people think is that a lot of money will make me secure, and if I could just have more money, I can be self-sufficient. That's really the lie that many of us, even in the church world, think. It's, it's subtle because it's not, a direct, it's not a direct thing. We are, as an American, oftentimes are on this path of self-sufficiency. In other words, you grow up in your parents' home, and your parents kick you out at, well, it used to be at 18. Now they kick you out at 30, I think. I'm not sure when they kick you out, but they kick you out, Right? And you have to get out there and start working. And so the idea behind it is self-sufficiency. And so we're trying to become self-sufficient. And oftentimes, in our pursuit for self-sufficiency, we become so self-sufficient that we don't really even need God anymore. I mean, Jesus is a good idea. 
and he's nice, but I don't really need him anymore because I don't have to pray for my daily bread. I have a pantry full of bread. I don't have to pray for my daily needs because I've got it all covered. I don't really need Jesus anymore. And this is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I, you know, to be honest with you guys, this is not, I don't like talking about this kind of stuff. But just so, so you know, way before I get up here to start basically pointing fingers, what it seems like I'm pointing fingers, I've spent time in my office just crying my eyes out to God, convicted, because as I sit down and say, hey, God, what do you have me to share with our, our people? God's like, well, I don't know about them, but I want to talk to you. <laughs> and he has to challenge me about my own propensity towards self-sufficiency, my own propensity towards finding happiness and satisfaction in stuff rather than in God. So I hope that you're hearing my heart as I talk about this. So in Luke 18, we read of this wealthy man who walks away sad because he has a lot. But then in Luke 19, we read of Zacchaeus who, who also has a lot, who also is wealthy, right? But there's a very different response to how, how this all happens. He has a lot, Zacchaeus does, but he knows that something is missing. He knows that something, and you understand it. If you've ever been in that situation where you had the resources, financial resources, whatever, wealth inherited or earned or whatever, you had all of that. And after you have it for some time, you realize that there's still, that doesn't, it's not fully, fully, I mean, it helps, but it's not fully, fully satisfying. And this is really where Zacchaeus is. And so maybe Jesus has answers for him. Let's look at verse 3. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, being a sh- be- but being a short man, so he's short in stature, he could not. So he's in the crowd. He can't see above the heads of the others So because of, because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Jesus is on his way in to Jericho, and Zacchaeus climbs this tree to see Jesus as he's coming in. When Jesus reached the spot... He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So I don't know if Jesus had met Zacchaeus before. It seems like he knows Zacchaeus, possibly. Maybe he just knows Zacchaeus by reputation. I'm not exactly sure the relationship here, but Jesus basically points Zacchaeus out and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to talk to you. I want to spend time with you. I want to meet with you. So let's meet at your house today. I'm going to have dinner at your house today. So he came down at once, he comes down a tree, comes, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, all the other people, the crowd, saw this and began to mutter. That is, gossip or complain. He's gone to be a guest of a sinner. Can you believe that? Can you believe Jesus, who we think is the Messiah, is going hanging out with a tax collector? That's the idea behind this, right? Now, he's called a sinner not because he has a lot of money, but because of what he does for a living. You see, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He, he worked for the Roman government, the occupation government, against his own people. He was considered a traitor to the Jewish people. He would, he would do all kinds of really dirty things. His job was a very dirty job, dirty occupation. So the point here, I think it's important for us to understand is the issue here is not about having a lot of money, but really more about how you get it. How do you get it? So in Zacchaeus' case, he would, he would cheat. He would manipulate. He would cook the books. He'd keep these uneven scales, you know, in order to get richer and get more money. 
So it's more about how you got it, not so much about how much you have. You know, in our culture, we have a little saying, it's just business. You ever experience that? Anybody ever tell you, well, it's just business. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's just business, right? It's not personal. It's not, not even spiritual. It's just business. And it's this idea that I have a business that's in my work drawer, and my faith drawer over here has nothing to do with that work drawer because it's just business. And yet you have to understand that God cares about the business that we're in. God cares about how we gain what we gain, right? So Jesus comes along and says, hey, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to eat at your house. Now, this is pretty, pretty good for Zacchaeus. I mean, Zacchaeus probably was a lonely guy being a traitor to his own people. Probably, you know, didn't, they didn't, you know, not a whole lot of people came and said, hey, let's have dinner. Maybe other tax collectors possibly, but, but Zacchaeus is invited. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. This is probably a great thing for Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus sees this, and his heart is impacted by it. He responds very favorably. It's like he finally found what he's looking for, and it can't be found on the internet. It can't be bought off the shelf. It's not in his bank account anywhere. It's in the riches of Christ. That's what he finds. He finds that what truly brings satisfaction is not the stuff that he has, but rather a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. He discovered just how poor he really was when he met this poor, homeless carpenter by the name of Jesus. See, Zacchaeus encounters Jesus and it changes him. It changes him. Look at what it says in verse 8. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. He encounters Jesus and something happens to him in terms of how he handles his money. You know, it's just wrong. For us to to be Christ followers, and the way we handle our money is not anything different than how the world handles its money. And oftentimes it's because we've compartmentalized, we've categorized it as something separate than my faith. When he meets Jesus, the natural response is basically to say to Jesus, Jesus, it's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? And he gives half of it away. Imagine what would happen if if that's how... We respond to God when we come face to face with him. Another thing I want us to take away from this, from this passage is it's less about having a lot and more about what you do with it. We talked about that a little bit last week, you know, about how we do what we, it's not about having stuff, it's about what you do with what you have, right? Zacchaeus becomes radically generous. Having found riches in Christ, now he decides, I'm going to start giving this stuff away, right? He He's not obsessed anymore with what he has. It's now rather an opportunity for him to to give it away. And I wonder as well what it would be like for us to have that kind of mentality. There's this book written by this guy named Christian Smith. He wrote this book called, this is the title, wait for it, Passing the Plate, Why American Christians Don't Give Away More Money. I've asked a lot of people, and they've never heard of it. (laughs) It probably didn't sell many copies because of, Probably the title just said, I don't want to read that book. I don't know. I don't, maybe. But he says that if American Christians started tithing, right? If all American Christians just started tithing, that there would, that would free up 46 billion more dollars for kingdom work. 
And then he breaks it down how that can be used. He says there would be 150,000 new indigenous missionaries, 50,000 additional theological students in the developing world, 5 million more microloans to poor entrepreneurs, food, clothing, and shelter for all 6.5 million current refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, all the money for a global campaign to prevent and treat malaria, and enough resources to sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide. And then he kind of states the obvious conclusion. He says this, reasonably generous financial giving. He says, talk about tithing. Reasonably generous financial giving of ordinary American Christians would generate staggering amounts of money that would change the world. So how do we respond? How do we respond to the Lordship of Christ? How do we respond when we come face to face with the fact that maybe, objectively speaking, we are rich? This is how Zacchaeus responds. Verse 8, here and now I give. Here and now I give. I'm not going to wait till later. I'm not going to wait till I reach a certain financial level. I'm not going to wait till I have X amount in the bank. Here and now I give. It's what we challenge people oftentimes when they're struggling financially is first thing you got to do is put God first and start giving. Then there's a lot of other things you need to do, of course, but that's, what, that's where it starts, right? This is how Jesus responds to Zacchaeus, verse 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too, talk about Zacchaeus the tax collector, this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what's, what we're seeing here? We're seeing a camel go through the eye of a needle. Zacchaeus because with God nothing is impossible even in your financial world if you go back to verse 1 in chapter 19 I know our time is up <clears throat> go back to verse 1 in chapter 19 you notice that it's, it says as he entered into Jericho it's the city of Jericho that he goes to where this is all happening as you enter into Jericho what, it's, you're reminded of what happened centuries before when Joshua was trying to enter into Jericho and marched around the city. You remember that? And there was a character there by the name of Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, there were some spies that went in and Rahab sheltered them and, you know, saved their lives, essentially. And because of what she did, their lives were spared. Rahab and her family's lives were spared. They were saved that day. Now, centuries later, there's yet another sinner by the name of Zacchaeus, whose life is saved when he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. You know what my prayer is? Is that Life Church, this place right here, would become another Jericho, where we have these encounters with Christ, and he changes the way we think. He changes the way we act, that we say, God, you are Lord over every aspect of my life, every drawer in my dresser, my money, my relationships, my, my jobs, my entertainment. Every drawer in my dresser belongs to you, God. What do you want me to do with it? And if we take that perspective, we could change the world. You and I could change the world. Let's all stand. I just want to give you three simple action steps. The first one is just start tithing. You know what tithing is? Tithing is the 10%. Start tithing. 
as I was typing that up, I even have it in my notes. As I was typing that up, I thought, well, certainly somebody's going to think, well, yeah, of course you're preaching on money, Rich. You just want more money for the church. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to say to you. If, you if, that, if that's how you feel, if you think that that's my motivation to ask you to start giving so that, well, Life Church can get more money, just start tithing. Give it to City Church in Iowa City. I mean, I, I don't want that. I don't think that's what you need to do, but... If that's what you think, if you think my motivation is that, I would just encourage you to just give it somewhere else. But start doing it. Start doing it. That's the beginning of putting God first in everything. Second thing is get out of debt. Get out of debt. I've discovered that debt is what keeps people from actually being generous more than anything else is debt. And the third thing I'd ask you to do is leverage your other resources, your time, your energy. Look for ways to just generously give your life, your life away to others. If we could just do this stuff, as followers of Jesus, if we could just do this, we will change the world. Amen? We're going to pray. Our, worship, our prayer team is going to come up here. We're going to pray here in a second, and, and we'll dismiss. But I just want to encourage you this morning, as we, as we talk about sinking our resources with God's priorities, that's where it starts. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, that you have set things in motion, in place, Father, that you ask for our hearts. God, you don't want our monies. You want our heart. You want us. And so today, Father, we commit as a church to surrender it all to you, Jesus, every aspect of it. Father, we've put it at your feet. You are the Lord over every area of our lives. Today, Father, we make a commitment to start giving, to get out of debt, to be generous with our time and our energy, to glorify you in the process. In Jesus' name, amen.